when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's November 4th. It's Mina's birthday, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 520. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. Happy birthday, Mina! She did it. She turned three, despite her best efforts. Uh, routine routine eating of su- suspicious substances that don't agree with her. Uh, she is she is still here. She's still fluffy. Uh, also still here. Also still fluffy. Patrick Klepek. How do you determine the birthday? Is it true birth or adopted birth? Uh, no, this is this is the true birth. Uh, okay. Yeah. So this is we did not we did not get Mina for some time after. But you know uh, the actual birth date. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes, okay. Yes, we don't yes. we don't know pixels. That pixels is just when we adopted her and that became that became her birthday. <laughs> uh, and of course, we also have Renata Price. Howdy. So, uh, all right, before we get there at the, end, yeah. at the beginning of last podcast, uh, Rob, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, we're trying to, you know, I, I wasn't sure what you were doing on Monday. So I told people you were canceled. Um, and then I asked if a couple people could write in with their, their theories on what happened to you. <laughs> I was wondering, um, uh, I was wondering about these emails. I'm so, I, I was waiting for wow, you to ask actually- like, Hey, by the way, is this a, a bit we need to pick up on. No, nothing. He just lets these canceled emails fly through. But, uh, you know, a couple of people wrote in, like, what happened to Rob? Uh, this is from Charles. I guess Rob would get canceled for tweeting the modern equivalent of, quote, let them eat cake. Thanks for all y'all do. I can see it. Oh, my I can God. See it. I can see wow. it. Wow. Uh, hey, point. Best guest. Three words. Heated audiophile moment. <laughs> FCGH. Jake, that's good. I also that yeah. Um, Getting into it over some speakers, absolutely. Oh, at a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I figure that Rob is most likely to be canceled when it's revealed he's actually been using Bluetooth earbuds this whole time. Oh, canceled by the audio files, Alex mm-hmm. from yeah. the other. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. <laughs> never, will never happen. No, if you keep saying it, then you're just digging yourself a deeper hole. I, there's one thing I can guarantee, and that it will be that I will never be caught using Bluetooth earbuds. Oh my god! When uh, we were on, we were on on set, and you you had like all maybe I can just put in these earpieces for you know when we were he was trying to listen to a game, and I was like, oh, do you got some what wireless earbuds? He's like, they're they're no, they're earbuds, but they also have a wire, just like truly deranged shit. <laughs> uh, like you're like the only person that would be walking around. In 2022, with earbuds with a wire dangling out of them, I don't think that's true. I think there's tons of people who still support that, uh, you know, the 3.5 millimeter jack, uh, <laughs> and that still enjoy the plethora of options you have. Plethora for, uh, is that what we're calling? Do you know what that word means? How many is a plethora? Lots, many, myriad, <laughs> tons. 
there's tons of great there's tons of great wired earbuds out there mm-hmm. uh and mm-hmm. people should mm-hmm. avail themselves uh of that of that market uh speaking of people availing themselves of the market or maybe choosing not to i guess time will tell patrick we have uh some details about what the old playstation uh vr2 is going to cost what the what the little value proposition is there uh yeah the sony has announced uh they've been talking about the the psvr2 has been kind of interesting because normally how video game announcements tend to go are, you know, okay, here's the splashy thing we're doing. Um, even frequently with hardware, uh, here's a release date, here are games coming for it, and it's all kind of announced at once. And with the PSVR, they've been basically just like occasionally publishing a blog that feels like they forgot. Like, oh, we did we schedule that? Oh, okay, all right, I guess that went up today. Forgot that article that I wrote um, announcing that the PSVR 2 is going to be $549.99. Um uh, which is the the price uh, uh, for the PSVR 2, uh, which puts it at h- higher than a... Well, I don't know how this all works out with the current P- uh, PS5 uh, price increase pricing. I guess in, in, in theory that could put it in parity um, with the pricing of the console, uh, depending on your region and also uh, how your <laughs> your currency is doing because things like that are all out of whack at the moment. But... It's expensive. Uh, it's about in line with what I expected, though. Frankly, uh, the 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 PSVR two is being pitched as something in between a Quest and a Index, and the Index is something costs that's Valve's headset. Uh, at least when it first came out a couple years back, that's a th- you know roughly a thousand dollars, and the Quest is a couple hundred dollars. I forget where it's landed now with uh meta's uh price increase but let's just say 300 um this landing at 550 is is a big sticker shock um especially because at least as far as i was reading it doesn't come with any sort of pc support um which i think would have been like a real Mm. incentive for a lot of people to be interested in the platform it's like hey cool like here is a high quality consumer level vr headset and also if i don't want to always have it connected to my ps5 there's like th- like thousands of homebrew and other cool shit happening in VR. Um, That's all PC. very true. But but Patrick, am I also seeing this right? That is the PSVR two going to have like the highest pixel density uh, per per display? It's a really good headset. Is like everything yeah. I've heard behind the scenes is that it is it is ext- it is the most comfortable headset. Um, it, for the price, it is like knocking it out of the park. Like if you've been waiting to get in on a headset, like th- this is a really good one but man that lack of pc support like really yeah. sucks um because on on one hand I, i'm i have remained excited as someone that broadly likes vr even if i don't think it'll ever really reach mainstream pen- penetration um is that i like that someone like sony is investing a ton of same as like i don't like facebook like they should burn <laughs> but i also have really enjoyed the like massive r&d and mainstreaming of a like entry level headset that Meta slash Facebook did with its acquisition of Oculus, and I also am glad that Sony is going to be putting in real money into like there's lots of really interesting things in VR and PC, but if you want like the spectacle and the budget, like a lot of that is is lacking, um, um, at least relative to you know a God of Warish or Horizon level game, and so um, I'm mean, excited. It's like well they're not going to do this v- this expensive headset if they're not going to put real muscle behind the games as well but yeah the lack of pc support or maybe that'll get announced later i i I truly i really hope that comes because you know this would be a really compelling 
purchase despite the I know it's expensive and I'm sure that's slightly inflated by Sony's desire to charge as much as they can <laughs> call it inflation. Um, but it's not it's not fully unreasonable for like the going rate for something coming with two controllers and like like as you said, rather the pixel density of the headset. It's it's by all like everyone I know that's used to this headset has been like it rules. Yeah. Sony's done it again. Uh, they are, <laughs> they they have engineered another. Uh, it looks like they've engineered a, a truly uh, like excellent piece of hardware, and then they're pricing it accordingly. Uh, but the I, I, you know at the, least you probably won't have any trouble buying this one. My guess is this one will be in stock. <laughs> Which I, is, that, that, you know I, I just know what Sony's measure of success is for it. You know. So anyway, sorry you were saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that that's kind of the thing is um, I get like here. Here's another question. Uh, is this basically being entirely run off like a like a PlayStation itself? Or is this like uh, like does it have inboard uh, processing that it's doing for these games? Uh, no, that's it, that's why it's down to one wire. Um, yeah. So that one wire is is it tapping into the PlayStation 5, which is exciting you know in in, in theory yeah. is exciting because it means it's it's going to get a chance to use um all that hardware i mean you know there's a what's inside the quest at the moment is uh you know like a mobile chip you know it's capable but it's it has its real limits um and then there's you know things like battery to be aware of um and so the the the, the notion of the psvr being able to kind of just connect directly to the ps5 opens the door for some you know especially with those like really nice displays like really cool potentially cool looking uh, experiences. Um, I mean, yeah, it'd be, it w- there's not like a ton of reason for Sony to not have like to, to have it be wireless because I just don't yeah. think they care about like a broader market. Right. Having a, they want you to be sticky to Sony. And, and mm-hmm. like, this is a, like the, the wire is as much a, uh, like all, uh, unlocks the PS five as a piece of hardware to leverage is also it like tethers you to the ecosystem. And so, well, I, I don't think they lose any of that if they were to add PC support. And maybe it's something they add, but they just sort of downplay. Like, they're not necessarily going out and waving a flag to be... But, like, I, I think they would end up getting a lot of sales of people who don't even actually give a shit about owning a PS5. I wonder if it's a thing where they can also turn an extremely blind eye to, like, a homebrew market that crops up around this thing as, as people figure out how to make it... Turn it into a... a PC compatible. It's all, it would also just be silly in the in the long term for their their current strategy of releasing. They're games compatible ex- with PC, yeah, right. Releasing games exclusive on the P, on the PS5, PS4, and then roughly a year later having those games arrive on the PC. Like the VR market is the is the P, people like uh, is the PC and then the Quest and like those like markets in some ways overlap and in, in many ways don't. Um, but that. To not include that, uh, to tap into that market, you know, maybe with their, you know, it's very easy to imagine them frustrating a lot of people up front. And then at some point they're just pocketing this announcement for later when one of these games comes to Steam. And it's like, actually, you know, we're also patching in, you know, P- uh, PC yeah. support where you're able to connect. That's like very, very easy to imagine. And given the trend of the company is would be would be very odd to, to not do um, at one point or another. I'm also curious, like, as I understand it, one of the big things that makes uh, people react poorly to VR has, like, historically has been, like, things like image quality uh, yeah. and refresh rate. And it seems like mm-hmm. they've sort of 
pushed those stats pretty pretty far uh in comparison to the rest of the market uh and and so i i I do wonder as well if there is still a bit of a bet being made here that fundamentally uh what is preventing adoption is not like that vr is just inherently faddish but also just that the experience is not wowing people enough uh to like there's still too much downside to a typical vr experience and that maybe uh the psvr2 can can overcome that I'm, I'm i'm really curious to see how this how this pans out uh you know i mean uh, certainly for uh for a fool like me uh you know i will just be jacked in in front of in in front of my playstation uh my little racing wheel out on its on its silly little model oh, frame. have you ever done vr right. racing before rob uh i don't think i've done vr racing i i did um so I, remember i had that uh I was going to say it's a stupid little thing. Of course, it's a great little thing. The track IR, <laughs> uh, the thing that has the little right. camera. That, right. Yeah. And like that shit alone was really cool. Like the ability to like look into a turn or like check your mirrors. Like that stuff is awesome. The idea of like getting fully into VR and like having something where it's like. Uh, you yeah, can imagine I mean, GT, GT7. Having, right. Like, a with those really ridiculously like detailed right. cockpits. Yes. Yes. Yeah um yeah you can definitely imagine that being like a really good uh use of that yeah i mean i i I, I think they have not solved but they've gotten a lot further in the uh makes people sick category but fundamentally there i think there is a ceiling on vr that is incompatible with most people uh, beyond it being like it's why the quest was really cool and very popular was because oh for a couple hundred dollars i can bring like this kick-ass little gadget to like the Christmas gathering that everyone's going to sit around, have drinks and pass around. Like that's super appealing. But my understanding of the data on a lot of quest stuff is like, there is a very steep decline uh, after a couple of months when the novelty wears off. Like it's not, it's not a sticky device. And I, and I think the stickiness is most seen on the PC where like people are playing, uh, what is it like VR chat and, and, and things like that, where, like it becomes part of their community. Like this is a way of interacting with with worlds, and uh, uh, I I don't trust Sony to build that because like the communities are going to do that on their own. Look look at what face you know look at Meta's doing with Horizons. Like it looks like dog shit, you know, because um, there's there's too many restrictions. Um, but uh, so I just I think there's a real ceiling on VR. Um, but and I I don't know that it's going to be some massive hit for Sony either. But as someone that likes VR and just wants it to continue. Like essentially, if there's enough baseline investment to get the quality to a certain place, well, then everyone can leave, and it's fine. There'll be indie developers catering to the community that still likes this this medium, and then they'll move on inevitably to AR because that's that's where all this stuff is is going in the next five five to ten years. But if like those will be different experiences, and so I'm at least excited that we've gotten to this point where I think it will just continue to be the kind of thing that like your tech gaming buddy says, do you want to try this cool shit thing in this thing in VR? And you go, yeah. And then like half an hour later, you're like, I'm good. Like, don't, don't need to come back to, it's kind of like seeing Avatar. It's like, do I remember anything about that movie? No. Did I kind of have a good time in the theater? Like a cool roller coaster? I sure did. Okay, I think I'm all right. Don't need to see Avatar again. <laughs> I had a very cool time in the theater watching that movie. That movie. Yes. Like, this is all did you right. ever revisit? Did you ever rewatch it again? This is uh, no. Besides the cult, like, is it a, you know you can't remember yeah. a character? Like, so um, 
this exactly. uh, right? thing is, I've actually never bought into that. I actually remember quite a bit about Avatar. If I'm being, you don't, like, you, don't you don't count. You don't count. You don't count. You remember everything. You you have too too big brain. Too big brain. Does too big brain. He's too strong. You told you were, you were telling us that you know you're the guy in high school that watches the movie a quarter in and like, well, you guys want to know the twist? I've seen the I haven't seen the Sixth Sense, but I have a Sixth Sense for where this movie is going. That's, yeah, we have to rewatch Avatar. We I need we, I need a reason to do it. Uh, we we do. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Kato. Uh, eventually, it will be Patrick's turn. Uh, and we're just going. Yeah, that's right. Patrick can do whatever the fuck um, he wants, and I'll yeah. just scroll through some production designer that worked on whatever movie, and their their sister worked on the oh the first Avatar. God. Nailed it. Yep. Found a connection. Mm-hmm. Six degrees of Cameron. <laughs> uh, so one of the news story that's uh, sort of caught my eye today, and Ren, you mentioned you were uh, yeah. writing up right now is that Activision on a number of fronts is sort of uh, continuing to fight a delaying action against unionization efforts. You want to catch us up on what's going on over there? Yeah, of course. So basically, uh, there was a successful vote to unionize QA workers at the Albany studio, uh, which uh, is teams working, uh, QA workers working on Diablo. Uh, There are two teams uh, of QA workers who basically uh, uh, grouped together. Uh, 15 working on Diablo 4 and 5 working on Diablo 2 Remastered. And basically, they effectively voted uh, and successfully voted to unionize, at which point uh, Activision Blizzard uh, requested the votes to be impounded until a request for review uh, is completed uh, regarding the hearing uh, that that occurred previously. They have three main concerns. Um, First, that the um, they make the claim that the video games industry is so fundamentally different from any other form of production that the extant um, like uh, precedent established by the National Labor Review Board does not matter. Established precedent video games are so different that established precedent should be uh, thrown out because it's not uh, it's distinct <laughs> from industrial. Uh, factory production do they do they like make are they more specific on what they mean by that or is it just it's different yes uh they are specific basically the argument that they make is that (sighs) video games are a uniquely collaborative work environment and so because video games are a uniquely collaborative work environment basically every member of the development team across departments has the same interest uh interest in like the labor sense uh so basically they're they're trying to argue that the interest group is not limited to qa workers uh and is should in fact include everyone now you may be thinking to yourself hey haven't entertainment unions existed for a really long time with a bunch of cross-disciplinary unions and unions that kind of are either micro units of specific laborers or broader coalitions? Isn't there precedent for this? Yes, there is. They're ignoring well, we, we have them here at Vice. Um, right. I mean, there was some consolidation that happened on our most recent um, renegotiation, but like they're like that is that is normal because different groups are going to have different specific sort of circumstances and demands that would actually I don't know, dilute is the wrong word, but it makes it easier to negotiate based on the specific circumstances of your your job, even if you all work for a news organization or a work on a video game. And it's funny because that argument is just co-opting the language of 
pro-union talk to make it sound more reasonable to the average person that doesn't have the time to scratch beneath the surface. Wouldn't that, shouldn't everyone be in the union? I mean, yes, but you're being disingenuous. (laughs) Right. So that is uh, their first argument. Uh, Their second argument is that the QA workers themselves, because they are distributed technically across different departments, so for example, the art department, the engineering department, QA workers are are working with, with all of these, right? They are, QA workers do not have shared interest with one another. Is one of the arguments that they're making because they, they did this with Raven. Were... This was this they made the exact yeah. same argument with Raven in that like because right after Raven announced their QA team wanting to unionize to formalize all that, uh, they ended up shuffling them into a you know I forget what the terminology is, but like scattering QA mm-hmm. amongst other design other disciplines at the company as opposed to being just their own unit. Right. And that is what was weird about it was like similar disin- disingenuous nature. That has been happening in video games where it has been discovered that, yes, QA teams should be embedded in art, in design, in like programming. Uh, mm-hmm. But that doesn't that does not remove their like common uh, common interests. Exactly. There was also a story that they used in the uh, in the request for review where they were like, actually, uh, the other problem is that QA workers um, have um, I forget the term, the specific legal term that they use. But basically, they shift between departments frequently. Uh, and they are so integrated into every other aspect of the workflow that separating them would be a problem. And the example they give is a member of the QA team who was shifted to a UI designer role for a handful of weeks uh, without any modification to their pay. So their example of the ways in which their QA teams are, are you know, work across a variety of disciplines was an example of them asking someone to do something that was not their job for no additional money uh, over <laughs> what they were already being paid. And that is their example of, <laughs> of how the QA team cannot be separated from everyone else. Um, and then their third argument is that uh, there was an impermissible um digital picketing that happened at the hearing because a group of spectators uh for the hearing showed up to the uh zoom meeting with profile pictures that said abk stop union busting uh at which point during the hearing activision blizzard was like this is impermissible digital picketing uh and the person in charge of the hearing went shut the fuck up (laughs) if someone showed up wearing a shirt that said that we would not kick them out this is the dumbest thing i've ever heard and activision blizzard said fine and then they sent in this uh request for review they were like i think that that was the wrong decision and it was very mean we were very hurt by all of this uh and so these are the three arguments that they're making to justify uh, having these votes impounded and potentially thrown out uh, to then force a larger mixed unit election uh, because micro units are significantly more likely to unionize than uh, larger uh, mixed units. This is a, a union busting technique that was just recently used at the um, uh, Amazon factory, uh, the, uh, the ALU union election that happened recently, uh, which went from 400 voters, uh, 400, uh, basically electors, uh, to 1000. Uh, and when that jump happened, they were like, well, fuck. Um, this has also been something that Starbucks has been accused of doing recently, of uh, when stores are beginning to unionize, they basically hire up rapidly 
to expand the voting body such that you have um, less chance of a unit forming. Uh, do you have a sense? My, my my gut tells me based on past experience here is like this is all just posturing and trying to drag their feet. Is there an analysis yeah. that suggests this is likely to fail and it's just them doing the stuff that all companies are going to do yeah. um, if they don't immediately just roll over and recognize the union? This is totally standard practice for like anti-union um, action. Like there is a, I was actually in contact with a professor uh, who who specializes in labor, and one of the things I was I was reading up on uh, from something that he sent me was a uh, the Dwayne Morris uh, legal firm has a uh, article that's just like how did how to disrupt micro it's just just openly how to how to union bust online and like it's they're just playing the playbook. They're just doing it. But the problem is that, to borrow a phrase um, uh, from this professor, what they're doing is they're trying to win by losing, by just dragging the process out as much as possible. Because companies can basically hold on and mm-hmm. throw as much legal mire in front of uh, organizers as they want, because uh, they have the money to do it. Organizers do not. They do not have the money nor the time to be able to have a really long, drawn-out fight. Uh, very frequently. And so like, this is a delay tactic, but it is like a delay tactic that is in and of itself a union busting attempt. Uh, Because like, the more you delay, the more uh, things destabilize. So are they also point like, does this stay within the NLRB? Or is is this now going to judges that they're asking to appeal the decision of the NLRB? This is, I believe, let me, let me just make, let me just check my case, uh, this case filing real quick. I have a copy of it right here. Um, Petitioner. No, so this is going to the NLRB. It's going directly to them, which is also part of why it's kind of a silly uh, situation because the NLRB currently is actually relatively pro-union. We are in a a moderately pro-union phase of the National Labor Relations Board. Uh, And so basically Activision Blizzard is the um is, is is sending this into the NLRB against the communication workers of America right um and their attempts to unionize so yeah well i mean we will uh we'll see how it goes it it does sort of it it does sort of seem like uh yeah these these uh appeals don't have a lot of a lot of merit uh but yeah as you, as you say like part of it is just trying to hold on long enough for uh you know, uh, to both to make clear that unionization in other places will have a similarly long road ahead of it. Yeah. Like, this is what you're letting yourself in for. And two, like, you know, there's I'm I'm sure there's a lot of companies right now who are uh, looking forward to a much friendlier regulatory environment moving forward. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. uh, one other thing I forgot to mention. Uh, another note on their argument is that they say uh, the... It is too different for precedent to be to be used, right? They simultaneously make the argument that QA testers in other industries, uh, specifically quality assurance workers in, for example, industrial factory production, uh, are considered part of the union with other uh, non-QA employees. Uh, and so they basically are simultaneously arguing uh, antithetical points. Um, uh, and it is it is extremely funny to to read the document uh, and, and and see those points uh, contrasted with one another that's you know, like that, that feeling when you book. oh sorry go ahead 
Well, I was going to say it also feels like a bit of an old playbook as well, yeah. right? Like this was this was like the line of defense used by uh, the tech industry in the 90s and early 2000s, which did rely a lot on like the incomprehension of regulatory mm-hmm. bodies and judges uh, and arbitrators to really like understand what was going on and yeah. what the merits of the arguments were. And I don't think that holds anymore. Uh, I think I, I think the mystique around uh like technology firms or technology adjacent firms has has kind of dissipated as it has revealed itself to you know the same dynamics uh exist they have existed elsewhere i I think 20 some years ago i think you might have genuinely found someone who in good faith bought into the argument of like yeah man tech is so different from like uh factory work that we can't really apply those same standards I think now you're you're less likely to find uh, someone who is who sort of bought into that sort of techno optimism uh, right. at this point. Yeah, and also like again, the entertainment industry is established. Like yeah. practices within the entertainment industry are established, and the modes of production are similar. the The notion that workers have different interests in other industries, um, and that uh, workers across departments. Uh, have all the same interests because they're all working on the same product is exceptionally silly and has been uh, disproved time and time again in decision after decision. But shit like that doesn't matter because like the the advantage of having uh, wildly di- like uh, different and varied unions also gives each individual component a lot of power. You will see yeah. this ever like the scariest thing that happens to the entertainment industry once every ten years is the threat of a writer strike. Yes. Um, because yes. it's so much harder to get a strike order with a broader group, but on an individual basis, you know, this is why, you know, you cannot allow visual effects artists to unionize. <laughs> like they, they, they are, they are like, they're more important than the writers at this point in terms of the, and that is not just for your typical Marvel film, like everything relies on visual effects. And so when you have individual groups in many ways, that increases like the power of the broader base because because things are so consolidated and because and precisely because they are so overlapped when you pull out one peg like right. the whole fucking thing collapses and so in theory by having a varied amount of unions it, you know you can actually strengthen the individual unions because right. each of you needs to be in a place where you feel like you are being compensated and respected appropriately or else no one else can do their jobs right uh yeah, I mean, it, it's fine. I think there's there's kind of a few schools of thought about that, right? Because, you know, there's there's also been, I, I feel like this is still current, a broader recognition in the labor movement that what's called like wall-to-wall unions uh, mm-hmm. are also probably preferable uh, as the way to go forward, but are also harder to create. Like our, like, you know, our company, our, our like a larger bargaining unit was created out of uh, sort of the knitting together of several smaller ones, but that took, you know, years uh, to, to sort of, to sort of unfold. Uh, but like, it's the, 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 the fun, the, the funny thing here is yes, this is, this is uh, sort of a, a tripwire that the Activision is trying to run out in front of QA workers uh, unionizing. The funny thing is that, there probably is a lot. I think there is a fair bit of evidence that it has, it has historic. It has been easier for companies to secure favorable terms dealing with a series of small unions uh, mm-hmm. who like 
any one unit can't bring business operations to a screeching halt necessarily, or it could be easier to replace mm. uh, on a one-to-one basis. Uh, you know, it's like to a degree, this is an awful lot of hard fighting to prevent what would still probably be a like manageable union for Activision to deal with. Um, and, you know, partly it is the, the objective here is, is, you know, largely about demonstrating the futility of unionization in general and keeping it from being a thing that sort of like moves like a wave through other parts of the company. Uh, but at the same time, there is a bit of, uh, I feel like over time knife juggling with this kind of rhetorical strategy. Uh, because as you know, as, as time goes on, as opinion and view of unions uh, shifts, I do think it, you know, we may well be closing in on a day where if someone says to Activision, okay, we'll do a, a full like poll of the of workers at a studio, that may not be a foregone conclusion, uh, how that how that plays out. Uh, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. Uh, certainly, though it, though, it does seem like this is kind of a Paying guess. lawyers a lot of money to just to just drag out the inevitable, which, you know, that is, a, you know, like as Ren you know, mentioned, that, that is a tactic in and of itself yeah. of just slowing things down, um, even if you know where the train is headed. Well, and there's been some discussion, you know, that's also been a thing that's been talked about a bit, too. Like, you know, as Ren mentioned, there's the law firms that have union busting playbooks and build themselves as specialists in it. <laughs> don't and even it, hide it. It's just you could just go there well, as a right, part but, of the feature but also, set. <laughs> They don't necessarily have particularly don't necessarily mean that doesn't necessarily mean they have an amazing track record at dealing with it. No, it just comes desperate for someone to talk to. There's it's, and it's they an industry bill, and they bill a fortune for it. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's the other thing is like, uh, you know, when when you see something like this playing out there, there, there is also can we get in on this? Like, Rob, you've negotiated. Like, can we start a, quote, union busting consulting firm? <laughs> and just pass on ineffective tactics. I think we would need that sound that sound really identities. good. I think we would have to have to be a long con. Uh, we'd have to start seeding the ground right now with right. like fake, okay, fake okay, Kato redacted, redacted. Yeah. Have to go back through all but, the episodes and cut out every fucking. What, yeah, what if we hire? Okay, <laughs> I feel like we make so much money. We can hire other people to like be at the company. Like, but we're just like the shadowy figures in the back. We're not actually in the okay, face. Of, we're not yeah. in the meeting. So, yeah. You know what I mean? We're just this. So, we're so just, we just have pop- people who are basically like sock puppets going after yeah, these meetings. Yes. Like, yes. Yeah. No, that's that's cool. Like hire <laughs> oh some extras to go out there and be well, like. Yeah, we will hire union performers. <laughs> um, look, hey, we now, respect real SAG quick, after. Uh, uh, this is a little unconventional. You can't actually, we can't actually give you lunch on this uh, meeting because we need to return <laughs> the suit to Brooks Brothers. And we can't have any crumbs or stains oh on God. it. So, uh, like, you're just going to have to do without uh, today. Uh, Patrick, there's, there's one other thing. Cause this is on the, the, the backdrop of uh, Microsoft's, uh, you know, uh, potential acquisition of a- Activision and things they're trying to do to allay fears around that. You want to catch us up on the positioning Microsoft is doing uh, around the anti-competitive uh, aspects of the merger? Yeah, the long and short of it is it is it has kind of come down to Call of Duty um, and it has kind of come down to um, increasingly the most effective regulatory arm in the world, which is uh, Europe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, um, you know, you're, you're going to get USB-C on your on your iPhone 
because of because of them. And I still think this Activision Blizzard deal goes through. But I don't where we started months ago was Microsoft would honor Sony's existing very lucrative. Go watch any of the ads for Modern Warfare 2, a game that has been an uh, an enormous success in, in recent weeks, um, like huge. Like we sometimes talk about, oh, Call of Duty is kind of softened. That's true. Modern Warfare 2, not the case, like right back to that game being as big as ever, or at least that particular installment. And um, and Sony has marketing deals and branding deals. They make a lot of money on, you know, uh, DLC and uh, things of that nature and have have a an existing deal that was supposed to go on for several years. Microsoft started their position as we will we will honor that and, in fact, extend it. Um, and then Sony's position became extend it more. And Microsoft was like, eh, uh, no, I mean, like, this is going to be five to seven years. That's a lot of games, um, even as Call of Duty apparently is shifting to a every other year cycle, um, which will, in fact, be fewer games, um, which maybe plays into some of Sony's thinking here. It's like if you're not getting six games over six years, but three games over six years, um, that's that's uh, potentially a loss of, of revenue. And now it has gotten to the point as uh, the European regulatory bodies have continued to kind of turn the screws, even as much as they seem to be sort of just parroting a lot of Sony talking points. Um, you can hold that position and also be like, look, the world should exist in a place where someone like Microsoft is getting the screws taken to them. Even if it does come across as parroting Sony's talking points, um, it's better for everyone involved that like this stuff happens uh, more regularly. Um, and with the position that Sony or Microsoft has now ended up in is uh them uh phil spencer is saying some of this and now there's been you know uh, uh yes yeah, so spencer is at a wall street journal thing that a lot of uh actually this is from a youtube channel i don't know they're just going they're not putting out statements they're just like doing podcasts and interviews and using that to communicate with regulators that must be part of a clearly a deliberate strategy but it, it's sort of odd to me um anyway spencer said on the uh the same brain YouTube channel um, that uh, the, uh, the full quote is, we're not taking Call of Duty from PlayStation. That's not our intent. Our intent is not to do uh, that. And as long as there's a PlayStation out there to ship to, our intent is to continue to ship Call of Duty on PlayStation, similar to what we've done with Minecraft since we've owned that. We've expanded the places where people can play Minecraft. We haven't reduced the places. And it's been good. It's been good for the Minecraft community, in my opinion. We want to do the same when we think of where Call of Duty can go over the years. Now, there's a lot of wiggle room there. Like, does that mean Call of Does, does that mean that they acquiesce to the demand that Call of Duty is not allowed to go on Game Pass. Um, are there restrictions on that where it's past games, but not like the current release? Um, uh, I think those are details that Sony will continue to demand, but it is is, is certainly a, it may seem small, but it's rather large that one of the biggest things that Microsoft could acquire out of this deal, other than just studios that know how to publish a video game, which is Microsoft's continued weakness um, as a as a console manufacturer. Pretty big weakness to have as somebody who sells the, uh, a video game console. Um, it would be to have Call of Duty as, if not in the short term, but in the long term, an exclusive IP. Um, and even if they eventually get there in, say, 10 years um, through whatever mechanisms, th- this quote seems to rest at a place where for for a lot of years going forward, Call of Duty is going to be treated like Minecraft. And maybe Sony loses a marketing deal or something like that. I don't know. But I think they actually probably keep that shit. Um, because it sounds like what Europe is saying is leave Call of Duty how it is or the rest doesn't walk through the door. And I think Microsoft probably eventually begrudgingly agrees to that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of cool. That's how regulation, like, you know, put Sony feelings aside. This is how this shit should work to some degree. <laughs> like, I mean, we have we have the, the long track record of people on the eve of a merger saying a lot of things uh, that are not necessarily. Well, that's binding. what I that's. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like, what does that mean now versus 10 years? From now, right. Right. Like, I don't think it's going to be a flip where it's like. No, they won't do the they won't do the uh, like dish network. Uh, right. We're like not raising thing. prices. Yeah. OK. Merger goes through. We're raising prices. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and the the funny thing is, of course, like I I obviously Call of Duty is uh, is is huge. It's a it's 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 a massive franchise. It would be uh, helpful to Microsoft to have that as an exclusive. On the other hand, like. It is by it being kind of everywhere. Uh, it, it is. It helps it remain a huge franchise. Uh, and they take and they take Sony's cut, right? Like you know that like the the the, fun, the money right. that was going to Activision goes to Microsoft. So you, from Microsoft's perspective, you could view this as this may seem like it's really tense and like a big deal, but like in the big picture, they're squabbling over. Potentially billions, but like something that's actually not that huge of a deal. It just seems like it because we're watching it play out in public. Well, especially because like in some ways, if you look at acquisitions like this as fundamentally like like products of long term thinking, it's not necessarily going to be like, now we're going to lock up Call of Duty and make everyone uh, buy an Xbox and subscribe to Game Pass for access to Call of Duty. That may not be it, right? I mean, it, it, the the model may more be like things like, what are the next Starfields that are coming down the pipe, right? Things right. The, like the things that uh, will become Evil Within Three. Where's that? You know, <laughs> the games people want, the games, the games the people demand. Rob, if you played Evil Within Two, you would fucking love it. <laughs> no, I, I played a bunch of it. Did you? Okay, all right. I played. Oh yeah, that came up at some point. That came up at some point. Great yeah, game. I just uh, you know got got pulled away from it. And now when I go back, I suck at it, and so I'm like, because <laughs> games like you, hey hey dude, you got to get really good at this at this like crossbow thing, uh-huh. and I'm like, uh-huh. yes, I remember how to use this crossbow thing <laughs> with all the crowd control and AOE and stun effects. Uh, yeah, so there's there's. There's that, uh, but man, what a fucking game! But yeah, I, I, I just, uh, you know, in in some ways, I think Call of Duty is the easiest thing for Microsoft to be reassuring about because, in some ways, it's the crown jewel. Uh, I guess there's also like a really cynical way of looking at it, which is that, boy, look, look at you know, Microsoft could have looked at this deal, identified Call of Duty was going to be the sticking point because Sony made it a sticking point, and the reason Microsoft is dragging this out like themselves might be. Look at all look at these concessions we made concessions we already built into probably having to do in the deal, but then r- does the PR war of making it seem like it's good guy Microsoft, you know, like, hey, we're going to recognize the union at Activision. Mm-hmm. Hey, look what we did to Sony. We're respecting Call of Duty and the existing relationships with those fans and that hardware. And there's a real good chance. I think they talked about all of that as possibilities. Yeah. And this is just the branch they went down and went. Yep. That we we knew this anyway, and also makes us look good in the eyes of regulators. I guess the the funny thing though is just because of the way Activision has run for years and years, it is hard to say what else of value you get out of Activision that is not already an existing franchise uh, that like Microsoft could do something with because Activision mm-hmm. became so hostile to new IP, right? Yeah. And and sort of like rolling out new franchises and like adopted this sort of. Uh, yeah, you know, like 
exploit like strip mining model uh in in some ways uh, and then we'll just and then we'll just randomly sign Sekiro from from software for reasons that don't make a ton of sense right uh so so yeah like i i i like it seems uh you know this is this is the position you'd expect to see given the regulatory uh hurdles to this deal uh but yeah i i do kind of feel like these are sort of the concessions you'd expect to see and they are not necessarily the ones like the, these these would not be the real objectives of a a merger like this uh over over the long haul um before we take a break i just wanted to mention uh speaking of things uh speaking of monopolies things monopolizing my time uh marvel snap has invaded <laughs> my home and how did this happen uh, what what is the moment that you went to the the Google Play Store? What what? Oh, I, I tipped I, you over. Like I, I, dude, I was downloading while you were discussing it. Yeah. Oh, right, I, right. right. Okay, I but there's downloading there's a download. as a bit for the podcast, no. and then there's sitting down to play it. No, and I need to I was, know. I was right. so the thing okay. is, it's football season. There's also been yep. some boring ass F one races lately. Uh, baseball can be a game of contrasts with lots of uh, downtime. <laughs> Uh, in between things happening so there's been a lot of opportunity for like i got 10 15 minutes i don't want to like take my attention fully off of something but i can sort of engage with something Rob, else. are you saying a no hitter uh in the world series is neat in theory but increasingly tedious to watch it actually play out oh my god a <laughs> four pitcher no hitter uh where all the scoring happens just on, on one inning is a bad fucking way to spend the night i'm so angry I it off i'm so angry i watched that game but turn but it did give me time to build a new deck in Marvel Snap. And I think this is so this is the thing. This is actually so there's kind of two things. One, MK predictably went fully down the rabbit hole. Like I think by last Friday, she she was like, Yeah, I'm silver something, uh, wild number. And I was like, Haven't you just had the game a day? And she's like, you know, I'm with hyperfixation. I was like, I do. I, I do know how that is. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, but so the the thing that I think is kind of genius about this is, uh, you know, they give you that starter deck that with a few little tweaks, you can get really far with the starter cards mm-hmm. uh, as uh, a, a decent playbook. Um, and it was it was just as it was starting to get a little bit rote. They do that challenge where it's like, hey, you should win a match with Spectrum in your desk in, in your in your deck. And Spectrum is a uh, late game card. I think she's cost six, power five. But her big thing is uh, she buffs all cards that have ongoing effects on them. And immediately I'm like, oh, well, wait, I haven't really like thought about too much about the on reveal versus ongoing distinction. It hasn't come up that much. But now that Spectrum is in play, it matters a little bit. So I'm going to lean into a deck that has a lot of cards with ongoing effects so that when Spectrum pops up later, it's going to be like, bam, in your face. Um, <laughs> yes. But before too long, they're like, hey, have you tried Odin, who wherever Odin is placed causes all unreveal effects to fire again. And you start thinking about, like, man, if you had a bunch of like powerful cards that have unreveal effects, and then oh. Odin shows up and they all fire again. Shit gets pretty fucked up for the other guy <laughs> real fast. And then like w- this was me last night where I was like, you know, I've got enough cards now that interact with the other player's deck that 
I kind of want to try that now. And mm. so I went in and I was like, I'm going to have a deck that's going to let me steal their cards and, and give them shitty cards and, and all this sort of, all this sort of goodness. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the, this is like why I am so hooked on this is because every time it's starting to get stale, it has by that point seeded enough cards into my collection that it's like, you know, there's a new deck archetype you could try and refine. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's like a whole new game. And God help me. I love it. And I, and the other thing I even love how bullshit this game is. That's part of it. Because <laughs> this game is bullshit. This. Yeah. The fucking, the zones yeah. that are just like, you know, <laughs> oh, the third zone revealed and it means fuck you. You can't win. Yeah. Uh, and if I were if I were rational, if I were mm -hmm. if I'd like respected myself more, I would see things like that and be like, you know what? The hell with Marble Snap. I've got better things to do than have uh, a game just completely on, tilted out of hand by a random zone effect. But instead, I'm like, there is no zone that says you can't win. What is there something specific that really particularly screwed you over? OK, yes, I'm trying. OK, uh. I have to think about this for one moment because there was a um, there was a zone where it was like hilariously impossible to win the moment it fired. It like mm. pulled it. I want to say all Rob Zachney's lose 15 energy. <laughs> <laughs> ah, she's in a straight out. There's a couple of really bad ones, especially if you've accidentally played a card. Uh, in particular, there's the there's there's one of them that's like you can't you can only have one card in this zone. And if mm -hmm. you accidentally play like a low level card into that zone before it reveals, then it reveals you have a one off like stuck in there, and they can just drop whatever they want on their other side and win that easy. Uh, this is why I started seeding the third zone fast, so that if that reveal happens, it's like well I've already got three cards in there, so what? right, and then they just stay. Then they can yeah. just stay. Yeah. Um, this is one of the reasons I play Watu a lot, which, like, his whole thing is just, if he's in your hand, uh, you see all the zones. Like, you see all the zones before they reveal. Yeah. It's very strong. It's too strong. And even though he, his energy sucks, like, I don't know. I just, having that information feels very, very useful. Um, have you, have you, have you? Oh, I, I know it screwed me. I know it screwed me. Sorry. I, I just remembered it. What was it? Uh, it pulled uh, Professor X immediately out of my hand and played it oh, into no. a zone before I had any chance to seed it. Oh, no. Uh, and then just shut it down. I want to say there might have been one other effect, too. Yeah. Uh, like, it felt like there was a chain reaction that happened, but it was like it was like immediately Professor X, who locks down a zone, nothing yeah. can enter or leave the zone, was played immediately, uh, which meant that now I was playing on a two-zone board, effectively, and right. had just lost the third zone. Right. Uh, straight up because of the way this this deal had happened um and the other two were in were in such position that like one of them was gonna be really hard to salvage uh right. so it was it, it was it was stuff like that where it was like okay my entire deck is built around sort of like having some late game decisions mm -hmm. and here it was just like pff, all your late game Bye. stuff is now taken okay but here's a, here's a question okay yeah. obviously like there are so many card games right yeah so many good ones to play um is there 
a what if this game is a little like Mario Kart? Like mm-hmm. it's okay mm-hmm. if there's a blue shell, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got other yeah. options, right? You want to go play the exquisitely balanced. You want to go play the thing that is like really reflects all the time you spent on your deck and you really thought about your moves. Um, but then sometimes <laughs> just goes, you know what? Actually, fuck you. Um, I'm just saying, like as a no, gameplay conceit, especially something pushing for the mainstream is like. Uh, it just, I can understand the appeal of having something that occasionally just steps in and goes, actually, here's a bit of a randomizer effect that can kind of screw over somebody, um, for, for whatever reason, just to introduce a bit of chaos. Yes. And and it's, to be fair, that, even that, even that zone, even that situation that Rob found himself in, it's, it's a double layer of RNG. It's first getting that zone to pop. Second, which card is going to pull from your hand? Right. Cause any right. other card, you probably would have been fine. Right. Like, yep. so that's even a smaller chance upon a smaller chance. First off, like it's like a tiny blue shell. Yeah, the blue shell is small, and it doesn't happen super often. And sometimes it happens to your to your enemy, and you're like, "That's great." Yes, uh, but yes. also, <laughs> which is you in second place right. on Mario Kart when the blue, blue shell, blue shell take that fucker out. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the other thing is the the matches are lightning fast, right? Yeah, it is such a small time investment to get into one of these that if I lose one off of like. A, a, a bad a bad double stacking of RNG. I'm like, all right, on to the next one. Like, I didn't snap. As long as you're not snapping, uh, I I've I've learned my the error of my ways. I'm no longer snapping on turn one where I used to just wow. throw that shit out immediately. Howard, you've you've gained the you've gained fear. I, yes, yes. And now instead of going like jumping between uh, silver thirty seven and gold forty four, like yep. I'm slowly yep. on the uptick in gold <laughs> instead of like going back and forth swinging wildly in in one like vibrating in a quantum position around gold. <laughs> but. I think, Patrick, you, you do have something there as well, which uh, the construction of this game, it does remind me a little bit of. There's a piece, uh, I think, in The Atlantic like last week about the, the sort of money ballification of everything uh, is just like ruining the world. And the argument uh, effectively being that like a lot of things when subjected to really uh, close, like quantitative analysis scrutiny, it does turn out there is an optimal uh, way to do something. And that also tends to mean that there's a generic way to do something that like uh, all the interesting variation disappears because it is not optimal and it just gets sort of streamlined away. And, you know, you know, obviously you've got baseball in the brain because I'm I'm watching the World Series. But this is something that, uh, you know, baseball now is fighting against, which is, uh, you know, the hyper investment in pitching rosters and then the defensive shifts that that came into the game several years ago are slowly being kind of ruled out because it turns out that while you can optimize uh, baseball in that way, it becomes a a way worse game uh, Mm -hmm. when you do. And I do think like Marvel snap to some extent by its very design does have that friction where it's like interesting things are going to happen here. Like, like this is like referees or like, yes. Do you want the rules to be applied how they were written? I mean, yes, but no (laughs) (laughs) what if nah (laughs) yeah like you just want like you just want that like sometimes like eh, shit happens uh, a fact and i think marvel snap like provides that in space and i think it goes to like the speed of the games the small size of the deck so you have just enough there's just enough size to the deck that like you do have that you do have the satisfaction of constructing a deck and thinking about how the synergies will unfold across the game but 
it is not so huge that you are uh, having to juggle a really like complicated and intricate optimization problem because the game doesn't unfold uh, long enough to right. bring all those into play anyway. Uh, so you've got to deal with, yeah, the, the variation of what are you going to draw across those six turns, uh, mm-hmm. maybe seven, uh, and you know, what, maybe four. what are the curveballs, right? What are the <laughs> curveballs going to be, uh, that, that the, that the board throws at you mm-hmm. and between those two things, it does mean this is a game where like a lot of different things happen despite you playing the same deck over and over yeah. again just, and oh, defeat cards. doesn't sting that much. Yeah. Kind of. A deck of just twelve cards, right? Which is like yeah. in other in any other card based game that's like that's tiny, that's nothing. Yeah. Uh you've got something there that's probably super consistent. But be, you know, they've obviously balanced the game around this and because of the, the turn structure and the zone structure, it's like very few games play out exactly the same. Right. There's maybe a goal of things that you're trying to hit with your with your combos, but you're not going to be able to hit them in the same order every every single time. You have to have you have to be able to play your hand well, even if uh, some of your cards came out in the wrong order, right? Um, I'm playing a movement deck right now, which is very interesting. Uh, right now, I've only really got Nightcrawler as movement abilities, so I've, I've seen cards allude. Yeah, you got to get. Abilities. Yeah, there's um there's a few, there's a few. I think. Uh, so this, um, I forget, I forget what the cutoffs are, but once you hit a certain collection point, you're starting to collect, uh, what is known as pool two. There's like a second like release of of cards from because yeah. this was this has been in beta for much longer than I realized. Um, and so there's been like three different pools of cards that have updated the game over time. And so in pool two, there's a bunch of movement cards, and I've started unlocking them like. One of them is uh um fucking what's his name Craven, from from Spider Man I guess I I consider Spider Craven a Spider Man character because of the uh cartoon yes but no Cra- Craven is a Spider Man uh is he Rogue is Gallery. he in the in the comics because I feel like I've never seen him in the comics yes okay. no that is that is a typical Spider Man uh he hunts down Spider Man that's like the whole that's the whole thing yeah the whole thing uh don't they all do that. They, they all kind of yeah, kind of yeah but he's got a big him. yeah. Oh, <laughs> but he's man, like good at it. Yeah, <laughs> he's they're, got turning, they're turning that into a movie with what's his face? Uh, Who? Who's? Uh, Who's gonna be Craven? Uh, with Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> Who? Yeah, hold on. What do I know him from? Uh, you know the classic soldier that was uh in from Godzilla. Oh, of course. Who could forget? This Brian is, Cranston's uh, son from the guy who was married to Elizabeth Olsen in that, 2014 Godzilla. In that movie. Uh, yeah. He's like, he's I have in, to get to my family. Kick-ass? Oh, wait, actually, he's yes. in Anna Karenina. I think I might have. Who, who is in a bunch of he's, he's, okay. he's okay. The train. He's okay. Uh, <laughs> the train! It gets weird fuck. there in the last act. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, so, like, yeah, the, the way these, like, new archetypes are sort of drip fed in there is really cool yeah. uh like right now the fact that we got a deck that draws a lot from the opponent's deck it is so satisfying when i drop dinosaurus or whatever the hell his name is but like yeah he gets plus two for every card in your hand right and 
like you've got extras from I've their got deck. So now. many cards uh, with this deck everything working well. That's like, oh, you've got the Hulk. That's cute. Bam! My dinosaur just fucking killed him. It's great. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I am. I am totally hooked. What a what a what a game. Uh, what a game. what a, what a absolute. What's delight. your what's your hold on? Let's con- let's. I want to know what's your con- uh, collection level. I want to see what 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 pool of cards are you in? How far have you gone? Oh, not that far. Um, gosh, well, it's going to take a moment to load up, but it's it's like I think low silver or something. Oh, uh, not not even your ranked mode, like okay. the little green number where it's yeah, like little green number at the top. Um, eighty three. That's that is pretty. I think you're still in pool pool one. I believe it's like at a hundred. You hit, you hit pool two, and then pool three is like two hundred or whatever. But um. There's so much like there's so much variance and like so much awaits. I I I had to did, have you bought the battle pass? Did you? This is so I'm not entirely clear. Like basically, I just want like I want my Spider Man's if I get the battle pass, right? That's yeah. Like I mean, it. that's one thing is like Spider Man's cool. That's a good card. Uh, Miles Morales Spider Man. It, it becomes a one one cost. If something else has moved, so it's actually really great in my movement deck. Uh, it's a one cost that it has five energy, which is awesome. Because so wait, you get so you get the battle pass for free, but then there's the buy premium, right? That's the yeah, that the yeah. Deal? The premium, there's you know, like most battle passes, got a free track and a and a premium track. Oh, but okay, yeah. So okay, yeah, I've got to pre- get the yeah, yeah. I see. The premium track has all the um mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the the Spider Mans, and also mm-hmm. the big thing is the energy. The energy which with, with which you upgrade cars, which is how you get more collection level, which is how you get uh, more new cards, right? Um, I I definitely hit a wall around one yeah. one 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 fifty one something like that, where like That's, I st- I didn't have any energy left to upgrade things, and uh, I had to buy into the battle pass to get more energy so that I can got to you just got to. I'm, I'm at uh, level two seventy six now. Oh. I put yeah. my eighty three in context. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I mean, I've, yeah, I've I, playing... honestly, I feel like that's about where I should be relative to you. Uh, so I'm actually <laughs> right. kind of reassured by yeah. that. Yeah, you're good. You're uh, good. But but yeah, like I like I have not been able to be like I'm gonna put ten dollars into this thing because I know like once mm-hmm. I do that, mm-hmm. I'll be regularly getting hit up for ten bucks by this game. <laughs> like like it's the thing, right? Like yeah. once I do that, where it's like. Yes, I will. I will buy this battle battle pass. Uh, then I'm on the treadmill. On the other hand, it's a good treadmill and it does it is a godsend during like shitty football games or uh, like yeah. dull innings of baseball. Yeah. Um, it's it's true. Or like when you're just standing there, like waiting for something to finish in the oven. Uh, yeah, I am. Like, I, I am got curious. Nothing to do for five minutes. I am curious how the drip feed uh, stalls out for you if you don't put in battle pass money. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll yeah. I'll be stingy to see see how far I can how far yeah. I can push that. Uh, but speaking of all that commerce, all that value, uh, we're gonna pause <laughs> here for some ads. Uh, back after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tell me of uh, tell me of Kratos and Richard Schiff as <laughs> Mighty Odin. Uh, ha- haven't seen a lot. Of, haven't seen the update from the last time we talked about God of War, which is me having played eleven hours more of it. Uh, haven't haven't seen a lot of them. Can't well, they're really they're really hiding that guy, huh? Well, this game is this game is extremely long. Um, I mean, God of War 2018 was was long as well. That was a game that took me. I think I that was when we were doing more proper reviews. I think I took an entire week off of work to like sprint through that game <sighs> and and write a write a review for it. So it was like playing most of still podcasting. So I wasn't getting like full days of of play, and I had kids. So, but but like it, long games. Like that game was like 25 ish, 30 hours long. My understanding is God of War Ragnarok is longer than that, more in the 30 to, to 40 hour range. Um, so I've played, if we say if we pluck 40 out of a hat, I've, you know, I've played about a fourth of it, which feels about right. Like I always like it in a big game where you're trying, where, especially when uh, it's not out and you can't consult a like a YouTube video or uh, uh, some sort of guide. You're looking for anything to like cling on to, to give you a sense of like the progress you're making and collectibles are like the best way to do that. So I did this in the first game when I was reviewing it, and I did it in this one as I was trying to get a sense of, like, where am I at in the story? And so you need to find a collectible that is not exclusive to the region you're in, but is, like, game-spanning. And one of those that is in both games are called Odin's Ravens, which are just these, like, translucent uh, ravens that kind of swoop around. And then you can – the the puzzle is trying to get the exact angle and timing on your axe so that you – you think you have the angle and then you have to release it like two or three seconds before and hope that it connects there. It's a really fun little, little, little puzzle scattered throughout the game. And there are like 48 of those. And I think as of when I stopped playing this morning, I had like 10 or 11. So I was like, okay, I've probably missed five or six. Like that puts me about a third or the fourth way through. But uh, yeah, God of War, uh, a game, uh, you know, light spoilers. Uh, well, I guess explicit spoilers for sort of like the end of that game. Um, but that, you know, God of War, uh, the 2018 game is, uh, you know, ends with the discovery that uh, Kratos' son, Atreus, is uh, at least prophesized to be Loki um, and that they have a very important role to play in the events to come, um, which, as uh, you might surmise from the title of the game, Ragnarok is is the event of Ragnarok, essentially the end of all things, like a, a war, a cataclysmic event that will take everything out and it's preceded by a great winter um that sort of <laughs> makes things pretty re- pretty miserable before the actual event of Ragnarok occurs uh and and basically everyone dies uh and so uh your uh, Kratos' son Atreus doesn't you know is, is trying to grapple with what does it mean to be part of a prophecy what does that like mean to like essentially know some version of your fate what does it mean to be alive and uh discover you're a god um and then, like, Ragnarok, um, in broad strokes, is, like, Atreus figuring out maybe there's more going on here than uh, folks, you know, the the prophecy uh, tells, or maybe that 
prophecies or your interpretation of a prophecy can be slightly misleading or who tells it to you can can be <laughs> important. Um, you know, the first game was like broadly thematically about um try to forget most of the things that Kratos did in those original games. Just forget the specifics. Like those are problematic. Uh, let's just say he was a really violent person who uh, now has a son. His wife has died and he's trying to figure out how to be a father. Like you have to do, the game doesn't really try to do it. The That original game sort of like expects from you as a player to, to like, look, you got to grant us some latitude here. We're going to use that, broad foundation of this character but we really kind of need you to forget as i mentioned when we talk about in a preview form like that he was grinding women up <laughs> into yeah. like uh to, as part of a puzzle like just think of him as a really violent bad guy um and you know I mean, the, the, that original game starts with him you know uh murdering his family trying to absolve his sins by going after the gods um and then uh and so this one's like god of war sets up like he's a parent he is now a single parent. Um, he's not necessarily a reluctant parent in so much as he does not know what it means to be a parent. Like his his wife did a lot of that and he was a support character in that struggle. But suddenly with a young child, I think in I forget what age Atreus is in the original game, but like under 10 years old, um, he's 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 young. Um, and that is a Atreus is present. Um, but as a side character for a story about much like a Last of Us or a lot of games of a certain era of the last 10 years is like, what like what does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to have a child and struggling to accept those responsibilities? Um, and Ragnarok, putting aside all the like the gods fighting each other and, and that stuff, like broadly is um, about two things. One, it gives Atreus a real perspective. Like this is about a teenager. Um, and all of the angst that goes with that. Um, and so, uh, unlike the first game, which has Atreus just as a, like a bit player, um, and they're important, but like, there's kind of on the side, you're spamming square for them to shoot some arrows and they talk in cutscenes. like in this new one, you know, you have sequences where you actually, you know, play as Atreus. Um, you get a chance to venture off as them and, um, long, like introspective moments where this character gets to kind of come into their own and uh you have kratos who accepts that he is a parent wants at this point in this story wants to be a good parent doesn't really know what that means but he definitely loves his son um and is not necessarily aware of the limitations of parenting when a kid gets old enough to start forging their own identity where you know you spend let's say essentially 10 years like the first 10 years of a kid's life mostly being their identity for them and protecting them and then suddenly they're old enough to say, like, I don't I don't want or need this anymore. And so you have Kratos struggling with that and you have a child struggling with realizing the limitations of their father's like own parenting skills and what that will or will not allow them to do. And I think all this shit like, works pretty well. Like I I'm a fucking mark for it. Right. Like mm -hmm. I'm not going to pretend I'm not, um, um, you know, like a story about, you know, I have daughters, but like the the, the themes here in this game and the previous game are like universal in that regard about um, like the struggles of uh, like, you know, what it means to parent, what are your responsibilities as a parent? And like, they're pretty like broad, like there's not like new ideas here necessarily, but uh, like the stakes feel real. The characters, like the performances are excellent. Um, and, and like the other big theme of Ragnarok is specifically 
uh, it uses prophecy and destiny to essentially explore the idea that is related to parenting of like, what does it mean for parents to like set you on a path to Mm -hmm. quote unquote succeed? And then what does it mean when you like decide you don't like, I don't want to, maybe I don't want to do that. And then as a parent, what does it mean to, you know, essentially guide them like trying to put guardrails up while also allowing or not knowing how to allow children to kind of establish their own identity. I am like, I'm curious when I, when I hear that, like, you know, are we able to get a little more specific about like where the, like where, like what Atreus is shrinking from here? Or is that more like, is that something we like you have to play the game to really get at? No, I mean, uh, like essentially, uh, you know, Atreus slash Loki or maybe Loki. Again, these are like vague prophecies. It's sort of like not even specific, you know, specific the start of the game. Like, what does all this mean? Who are these these characters and what role do they play? But is, uh, you know, Kratos is like, look, Ragnarok's coming. Let's just hide out. And I don't know. Hopefully the, you know, the storm passes us. And um, Atreus feels a like a weight has put on them, but it wants to rise to the occasion. Kratos is a character who at this point has gone through, I don't know, probably decades of like war mm-hmm. and violence and comes out the end of it going, uh, not that this violence isn't the answer, but well, I mean, and this, you know, this is the contradiction of all the games of this type is like violence right. is violence is still an ant is the primary answer. Um, I don't want to go to war, but man, I really need to chop up these elves uh, while I get there in like the most <laughs> grotesque, uh, you know, uh, cut sceney ways. Um, I definitely need a scene where like to kill this lizard. We can't just kill it. Like I need to take my blades of chaos, like pin it to the ground and then tell my son to take their knife and cut open its throat in the most detailed way imaginable. So like all, similar to the way you sort of have to put out your mind. Uh, uh, like Kratos's quote, like character arc from those original games pre the 2018 game, like that is just sort of what this game is. Like yeah. it has that violent spectacle. And either you eat like we're gonna read a bunch of essays, and I read a bunch of them about the 2018 game. They're like that doesn't work, and I agree. Like I'm with you. Like and yet, if you sort of accept it for what it is, and then proceed from there, uh, like it, it can work. You know. If you can do that, then a lot of the rest of what the game is doing can can work for you. But so, um, you know, I, I, th- I think broadly, you're like a lot of what ends up working for me is like actually just giving Atreus a voice mm-hmm. like they're a character like they you you really, emp- you know, emp- there's a lot of you have a lot of sympathy and empathy for what they're going to, especially if you've. You know, depending on the relationships you've had with with your parents, obviously it doesn't involve necessarily killing gods, but uh <laughs> Like a lot of what they're, this is such a talky game. Like yeah. the original game was such a talky game. Like it just never shut the fuck up. And that can be a negative. And God of War, I thought it was a real positive. Like the the writing is really, really sharp um, and funny and interesting. It carries over the other really sharp thing from the, the original game, which is that uh, how often do you play a game and you purposely walk a character slower because you're just not sure when that dialogue isn't going to cut off and they had such a smart solution for that in the original God of War, uh, which was that uh, like a lot of times what happens is like you get into these big spaces and then you have like these different spots you can explore where there are puzzles and combat scenarios and yada, yada, yada. And then like the characters start talking, there's banter on your way there. And in most games you do the awkward thing of like bringing your boat up to the dock and it's like, cool. 
Time to wait until this wraps up because I don't want to, there's no way to like pull up an options menu with the dialogue I've missed. Um, and what happens here is the, like, as soon as you hit like circle the dock, the characters go, oh, you know what? We'll pick that up later. And they do. And it's not just that they, and it's not just that they pick it up, but it's like, right. Where were we? Okay. We were talking about Thor. And then like they go back into the story and I, all that stuff carries over here. Like the, all the, all the performances are extremely, strong uh in this one um and everyone is is constantly talking but in a way that um ends up filling the void of like a really uh especially the opening hours of this game are just slow like you're just waiting for the sequel to start and i have just gotten about 10 hours in where i feel like all right the the, i guess the title card should drop i think that already (laughs) happened but um like it's it just takes an extremely long time not to just get going from a storytelling perspective, but sort of like introduce enough of like what what's different about this. There's not a lot that's different. Like if you didn't like God of War, you're not going to like God of War Ragnarok. It is a mm-hmm. like deeply like picks up from the ending of the last one, starts from there, tells the story that you're pretty sure they're going to tell. Um, and mechanically is not hugely different as well. There are flourishes. There are without getting into sto- like spoilers, there are meaningful, meaningfully different ways that you play the game at times that are that are interesting um that are more than just kratos getting a different weapon type um that sort of changes uh their approach to a to a combat scenario and that stuff is appreciated they also have the the um the chains early on as opposed to discovering it a decent way through the game which means they've also added like this really big vertical element but it's a long game and i it's so hard to tell because i played 10 hours really really quickly in the last yeah. couple of days so i could speak to the game uh, more than just the opening hours and understand when you review games pacing is so difficult to mm-hmm. grasp yeah. um like it is i played like the opening 10 hours and went it took about 10 hours for this game to like start going and how much of that is me wanting the game to get going versus the game treating itself as a television show and it's like look let's like lay the groundwork, get you back into things. Like you're going to be here a while. And I can absolutely see other people looking at that and go like, that sounds awesome. Like I would love to just get like a slow dip back into this world before things really take off. Um, And that's just the nature of like reviewing these games. I mean, to credit to Sony, they are consistently one of the companies that gives you shit really early. Like people had a full two plus weeks with Ragnarok and they, they, they consistently do that with like, all of their games. Like I think the last couple of years they have always delivered their stuff early. Fortunately, I don't have to review it, but that is one, like even as, as the, the couple of tweets I wrote this morning about it, where I was like, you know, I'm not sure about the pacing. I could absolutely see that coming across differently to folks that, you know, play this game slowly over the course of a month um, instead of cramming like homework uh, for, for a podcast that said, I'm pretty sure. And I talked, <laughs> I've talked to some people that worked on the first game that, have since played this game and like I, I think I, I think the idea this has is it has too much is probably true um and yet what is here is really good and it's the kind of world that people don't like to leave and so i i doubt that'll be a negative for most for most folks um i just haven't gotten far enough to really get a sense of how all the story stuff lands but um yeah 
Well, good thing you're not uh, playing anything else that's maybe overly long uh, or excessively sprawling. Uh, yeah, like really good. To just yeah, well, look, you know, I I wrote, I, you know, this will be in the newsletter that people get on Friday. I was like, hmm. So I came up with a piece of content to let me play games for work that I don't have time for. I mean, on on Tuesday, wait, uh, or Wednesday, I, Wednesday, I played seven hours of Cyberpunk 2077 on stream. Patrick picked up, yes. God of War. Did you say that you hadn't hit a title card in God of War as well? Oh, I was just joking. Okay. I, no, no, I probably... I don't even know if it has a title card. I, sure. I, this is like a game with sure. a single... Like, both these games do the single cutscene. I was about to say, so you haven't hit it in trick. either of these games yet. <laughs> no, I don't think it... I don't, I, don't think it, I don't think it has one. No, yeah, and I know that I was, like, desperately close to the one in, in Cyberpunk. But, like, yeah, my, my Wednesday was playing Cyberpunk on stream for seven hours... And then picking up my kids, having dinner, putting my kids to bed, and then playing four hours of God of Ragnarok. Like, that's too many games. That's bad. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't recommend it. But both games are pretty good, so I guess you could you could do you could do worse. Um, also, I hope you really like puzzles, because that's Ragnarok is just puzzle, 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 puzzle. But it's oh, I I really like the puzzles. Like, it never gets old to throw that fucking axe. Like it's like whoever came up with that original mechanic a <laughs> hundred hours later. Good. Is that how you're solving the puzzles? I, I mean, a lot of the game is surprising angles. number of axe throwing puzzles angles. Like okay. it is, it is setting up angles. It is, it is, it is uh, manipulating weights and distance mm-hmm. between things. It's, 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 I know it sounds goofy, but it's awesome. I mean, like seriously, there's like almost nothing like, uh, like nailing one of these Odin's Ravens with like what feels like a trick shot on the golf course where you are like I'm throwing it and I'm waiting five seconds to see if it lands and when it does after 15 minutes of trying is one of the, a glorious a glorious feeling <laughs> Uh, you know honestly should we take a little dip into the question bucket Uh, here at, at this point before the end or anything else people want to hit there is, I, I do have to read this, I do have to yeah. read a question very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've had an ongoing, I think this has always happened in episodes that Rob is not here, mm-hmm. um, about the whack Pack. Um, and this 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 person um, from South Korea that wrote in and called us the whack Packers. And we thought it was just this goofy thing, couldn't figure out what was going on. Then we've had several people write in and be like, hey, this is a deeply problematic Howard Stern reference. And now... We have an update from Landon, who is the original person who wrote in about the Whack Pack. Oh. Hey, Waypoint crew. As the one who originally sent in the Whack Packers email, I listened to some confusion as someone else sent in about the Howard Stern connection on the recent pod. Well, I'm obviously aware of who Stern is. I've never listened to the show and really only know of him due to his pop culture reputation and random interview clips on YouTube. I decided to do some research and yeah. I can see how maybe that raised some eyebrows. It seems like there's a lot of problematic stuff about the whack pack. The secret origin of the term is that I was part of a creative writing group in college, and one of the people in it called us the whack packers and just assumed it was a name he made up since it sounded like made up nonsense. I sold the term and applied it to any group I happened to be a part of or traveling with. For example, I ran a book club while in Korea that I named the Wackest Whack Packer Book Club in uh, all of uh, Yosu. Uh, I've never had anyone or uh, mention or ask about Stern's whack pack when using the term, nor have I Googled it because I assumed it was just a made up nonsense term. Clearly no one on the podcast would know any of this. And I just thought it'd be a fun name you'd get a laugh out of. Not sure if you want to bother reporting this on air. 
I do. I wanted to clarify <laughs> and reveal this crucial lore as I didn't want anyone thinking it was ill intent. I, that, that was broad. That was, that, that was my presumption too, Landon. Um, anyway, uh, all this, they did also have a question. I wanted to all ask about books, specifically about Stephen King books. Is it surprising to anyone there has been basically no real video game adaptations of King's works? There are a handful in the 80s and late 90s, but they're all attached to a film adaptation. It's crazy to me that we didn't at least get some random Resident Evil clone based on one of King's books in the PS2 era, or that Telltale didn't license out something when they're releasing 15 games at a time. I know not all of his work easily adapts to a video game format, but I can easily imagine a video game of Running Man where you have to survive different levels with a boss hunter at the end of each one, a Resident Evil-esque version of The Mist where you're trying to find a way out of a town overrun by monsters, or an RPG series based on the Dark Tower books and all the shenanigans within those. Am I often thinking that it's weird that these two parts of entertainment and pop culture have almost never intersected? Could Stephen King and video games be the chocolate and peanut butter uh, being combined into a Reese's cup? Or am I crazy and do you think this is more of combining peanuts and chewing gum situation? Ew. And regardless of what you think, why do you know company has ever tried to do something considering how much success King's adaptations have had in film and television? Sincerely, Landon. I feel like there has to be like I feel like it'd be a good fit for an adventure game like a like a like a like an early 90s adventure game or like a mid 90s adventure game of Stephen King's work. That seems right. Right. Yeah, I mean, you collaborate on it out there doing. Yeah. <laughs> the the art of Alan <laughs> right. But I, was, I was I was skipping past the fact that the that the Stephen King game exists. And it's called Alan Wake uh-huh. uh, and it's uh-huh. and it's sequel Alan Wake American Nightmare. And then that sequel Alan Wake 2. Uh I don't have a good answer for this. I've, I have thought about this question as well. If you do a, a Google search of Stephen King adaptations, um, you know, they, I think the mist has a text adventure. Um, there is a, a, there actually is a Sierra style adventure game for the dark half. Um, and hmm. King collaborated on a like seventh, like seventh guest style, like FMV thing that is, does not look very good. Um, I, yeah, I, I think part of it might be that uh, like King's explosive name popularity, like alongside things like it in like recent years. I, I just think like they don't do license games anymore. Like that's just not a thing that like video game companies do. Why they didn't happen during the PS2 era. Like, yeah, the mist does make sense as like something that would have been a PS2. Uh, they did the thing. <laughs> that game was from the 80s. Um, but uh <laughs> I I don't know. I agree. Like the Dark Tower would be like an, an exceptional. I I think part of it might be, which is also the problem with uh, adapting King to film, is that so much of King's work, why it is special, is his writing. And mm. it's not that the worlds aren't interesting or the characters aren't interesting, but when you read a King book, so much of it is in, specifically in his writing, which is why so much of it gets lost in the adaptations because. What's special is intrinsic to his writing style. And that's just very difficult to adapt to screen that feels kingy. And I would imagine that would be similar for a video game as well. Anyway, thanks for the origin story on Black Pack. I, I was sorry also, if I, I sorry was... if I ruined it. Sorry if sorry if no learning the Howard Stern stuff ruined it for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Things are never quite simple with the Howard Stern show, though, and, and history. No. It's a it's a land of contrasts. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> though I did, though it was somebody who wrote in the full roster of the Whack Pack. Oh uh, yeah, regular. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. There's some. There's some uh-huh. names. Uh, no, in, hit me. Hit me Nope. Mm, no. no. We're not. No. We're not can doing Google that. Him later. I'll, I'll. I will paste it for you. Um, but I guess this is a little. 
Unfortunately, Ren does not have this touchstone, probably for the best. But yeah. anyone that's listening to this that is aware of 90s shock jock, um, you can just take just take a guess at like what sort of stereotypes uh would okay, here we go. I'm pacing this for Ren. Um and uh oh I lost the listing, but you'll get enough of them. Look at the one all the way at the the last uh, one there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Got it, and got it, got it, got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Cool, pretty cool, cool, pretty cool, standard cool, cool, for cool, 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 cool. Ed's Lord mm-hmm. 90s shock jock humor. What was the what's our what's our mainstay, uh uh Rob? Man cow, right? Yeah, yeah. Chicago's uh answer to, to that. Um I'm also flashing back now to Peter Jennings getting pranked uh, by Howard Stern caller and Al Michaels calling in to be like, yo, that's a Howard Stern bit you're doing. Uh, it's it's uh, it, the he 90s were moments. a weird time. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, the subculture built up around Stern uh, is is weird. Uh, but let's let's get into some let's get into some emails here. Uh, first one uh, comes from David from Indianapolis. Dear Waypoint Radio, I have a hypothetical video game fantasy scenario for you. Each of you has a magic wand that you can magically that can magically revive a single dead multiplayer game from the past and make it both playable and popular for the next five years. This isn't a cursed wish. In the spirit of fun, whichever game you pick can also have any or all of the following perks. Runs flawlessly on modern gaming system, bug fixes and ongoing content updates, zero toxic players. A stable mix of players joining and taking breaks so that you can always play with folks at your skill level. Uh, after a five-year renaissance, uh, after the five-year renaissance ends, your chosen game dies a second time. The servers go down, all the discs become unreadable, and all the other players go their separate ways. Which game would you pick and why? Or why not, if none? The Matrix Online, because I missed it the first time around. I'm really sad that I missed it the first time around. That's a good pick. <laughs> Uh, especially the too. updated content they like the way that they ran that game kind of like with the the, the community influencing its story that seems like it'd be really fun uh, to be a part of live Sorry. is it Titanfall Ren? I said Titanfall 2 I said mm. Titanfall 2 that's, that's without well it still without, runs but it's it's still, is, it still, still is it still broken? I don't know where the, st- the state of Titanfall 2 is at this point uh, I'm not sure, but also like that g- it runs and it has a healthy and active community, like it has a healthy community or two very different propositions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you just gotta get on the North Star servers. Gotta, gotta do a little bit of modding. There's a community out there for you, Ren. Oh, I, I'll, I'll send you some examples. My, my understanding was like, it, there were like, there were cheat exploits in that game that kind of overran it too, right? That was, that was an issue. Yes. Wait, Kata, what is this? What are you what links are you gonna get? We'll, so we'll talk just, after. Yeah. We're solving we're solving problems here. Patrick, uh, what about you? All the games that I played when I was younger mostly like I played the like Quake and stuff like that. I'm trying to think of like one that like died that I would have wanted to. Um, I, I never played Tribes too. That was always the that's one that kind of talked that's, about. That, that's kind of the one I was thinking of. I know that's like the quintessential, like, but I, I know I remember people loved that game and I just never got around to playing either of them. Um, but I know the tribes Two like is seen with like such reverence, uh, for, for like being an, an exceptional multiplayer game. I might see if I can bring myth back. Uh, but 
the, the only game? issue yeah the the bungee game uh which had really cool multiplayer the only thing i remember mm. though like not digging as much about the multiplayer is that it used a points by system with all the units in the game not just the player controlled ones but the game was fundamentally like balanced around a single player campaign and when, again when you sort of like the optimal builds that cropped up uh in multiplayer i remember not being particularly fun uh like not that the meta never shifted but i just i i just remember like it was just not a it was not awesome to basically i i feel like at a certain point you you needed to run like mercridia uh in in myth 2 because they were such an overpowered unit that like you you could not you you could not compete without them uh in in your lineup and maybe that eventually got patched out but it was but the thing is that is a unit that like they're like this werewolf race and everything, and they just sort of like bull rush everything in their path and one hit kill pretty much anything in their path, uh, which is terrifying in a single player context where it's like, holy shit, can you drop these things fast enough before they like pulverize your lines in a multiplayer match? Uh, it just didn't feel like myth uh, doing that. But uh, I, I, I would still be curious to like see what a thriving uh, myth competitive community uh, might be like. Uh, so that would be that would probably be my answer. Just bring back Quake Three test, right? You know, we only you yeah. only need one map, <laughs> Rob. Just like oh, that's all you needed was just this one little demo that John Carmack put on a plan file. Uh, we have another good question here from Michael from Australia. I have a problem with games where I never finish them. Oh yeah, I know this problem. <laughs> Not that I get bored, just that I get to almost the end and think that I'll push through the last bit in a single session at some point in the future. Open world games have made this worse by explicitly pointing out the point of no return. That's not the problem. The problem is that I'm running out of disk space because I still think to myself, oh, better leave that there. I'm still playing Mm. it. This includes Mass Effect 3, left unplayed since two months after the game was released. Oh, my God. What games are the team still deluding themselves that they're still playing? Doesn't exist. Built different. So many. I've still got those Thief Gold saves rattling around my Dropbox. Those don't count. You said that. what's What's a recent one? What's still loaded up here that I should really just fucking uninstall? Let me, let me uh, select ready to play games on Steam. Let's go to the oldest one I have in oh, here. I'm, I'm, I'm still working through Final Fantasy 14. No, you're not. You're not. Yeah, what? <laughs> Cruelty we, Squad. We, we had this. We had this conversation. <laughs> Cru- yeah, Cruelty Squad was on my top 10. I played half a level and the, I was good. I loved it. I adored it. I didn't need to see any more. Wow. Uh oh! Did I finally delete it? Oh, I did. Whew. <laughs> did yeah. I beat inscription. I might not have beaten inscription. Uh. You should beat inscription. But beat again, it. time moves good. on. Yeah. Uh, Elden Ring. That DLC is very fun. <laughs> yeah, you just, well, you got you know you just couldn't beat that one boss. It was too bad. Damn. Oh my god, bro. Other people uh, did. Other people beat it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, cool. cool. Road Warden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's 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 recent though. Yeah, fair. Uh, I mean, the bad ones are on my Switch. So, Iron Harvest, uh, an RTS I liked quite a bit, has a really good campaign, and I was like, this campaign's really getting good. But also, it was turning into a really hard single player RTS campaign with a lot of mm. like trial and error, and like was the trick to this level. Uh, and so I'm still like, I'll finish that soon. 
I'm not finishing that soon because now I'm again now I'm shitty at the game. Like I load back into those levels and it's like it expects you to be like have been on a power like a skill curve since the start of the game. And now I'm like I don't remember what these fucking little mechs do. Remember, let's, our, let's, remember yeah. our high fleet save, Rob. Oh man, high fleet! Remember what a game. high fleet? That that was a. That's we a have game. to go back. <laughs> we we have to go game. back. Ah, oh, we're gonna finish that. Yeah. See, this is the thing. Like Patrick, Patrick has that that makeup where Patrick can just look honestly at at things and be like, "I am done with this. I'm putting it down." Uh or or um. Well, I frequently have the opposite problem. I mean, so I will play things for the explicit, like I categorize them like I am playing this because I want something to talk about on the podcast or I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But then when I play something that I like, I will reprioritize it to finish it. Right. Like I went back and did that with like I had God of War and I went back yeah. and spent two nights finishing Scorn. And um, I also need to go back and finish. I did that with Roller Drome. Uh, and then the game I need to go back and do that for is A Plague Tale. Um, yeah. Although I might just do that at Christmas when I have a bunch of extra time at this point, but mm. yeah, I I I try I try to keep the pool small um, so that I can actually get to the ends of things. But I also have a hang up about finishing things. Like right. this is, mm-hmm. extends to television, you know, less so now with kids and less free time. I'm just more picky. But it used to be that, yeah, this is how you end up watching like seven seasons of Prison Break. I, what else are they going to do? Or you, what else am I going to do? <laughs> Once you've started, you've got to break all those. I don't know what happens to Michael Schofield. Yeah. Uh, Ren, did you find anything particularly heinous uh, on your switch? On my switch? It's actually so I, I, I uh, got a new switch like a year ago, mm. uh, but I've got some I've got some Shin Megami Tensei five. Still haven't finished it. I wrote a review of that game. Um, let's see. Uh, Shadow. We didn't, didn't like that game, right? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no. I like SMT five. Oh, that's the other one. That's the one from earlier this year. Yeah, Soul Hackers. Okay. I also Soul didn't. Hackers. Soul yes. Hackers is the one you didn't like. Yeah, uh, Salt and Sanctuary game that came out in 2016, I believe. Okay, here's uh, the question: How many? Okay, so I think part of what is different Rain about World. this this question is it can't be a game you dipped in and left, right? Like playing mm, an hour yeah. doesn't count. What's oh, the, I'm not, yeah, I think I'm you not were doing like that. Pretty stuck in. I need. To, what is yeah. the? I, can you? Because the switch tells us this. Yeah. What are the hour counts on some of these? Uh, let me see software information. Like Shin, Meg- Shin Megami, uh, Megami Tensei. SMT5? Oh, yeah. that's like 40 hours. Wow, like, thir- okay. like 30-ish, yeah. I think. So you're like a third through the game. No, I was, I was like half. Um, mm-hmm. let's see, uh, Salt and Sanctuary, like 15, 20. Okay, Shadowrun Hong decent. Kong, like 10 or 12. Rain World, like 6 or 7. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, that was like 20, I think. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I got, listen, I got what I needed. Um, (laughs) Pokemon Legends Arceus. Uh, I put like 30 into that, I think. Uh, but is, so is your, is, is the way that you bought. Did you not finish at 30? No. Well, how long is that? That's like a 60 hour game, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Let's see what my hour count is. Like, you know, like the, you know, as observing, uh, you know, like Kato, Occasionally plays story-driven games, but largely plays infinitely repeatable games, and then avoids this trap um, in which there's there is no end. There, you can't even feel bad about not finishing. There's no finishing <laughs> slave aspire. Rob, unable to choose, constantly investing in a game from seven years ago because they can't figure out which game to play from a week ago that they got code for, is 
I'm curious, Ren, like where does your bouncing come from? Like what is, is, is it just, you just like tasting like explicitly, I just enjoy playing something up to a point and moving on, or is it like an inability to focus thing? I'm just curious, like I, I could, I could see both of those being, or maybe they work in concert, I suppose. I mean, I think a lot of it is, um, I will hyper fixate. And once the dopamine, I like dopamine exhaust. Uh, and once the dopamine stops coming, I will probably just go somewhere else for a little bit. Like, for example, I played, uh, all of shadow run Dragonfall uh, in like three days while visiting my girlfriend. Um, or, you know, SMT five, I like put a ton of time into in a big burst. And then it's hard to go back to stuff that I've put like 30 hours into, even though I remember all of it, because like, if I leave a game, if I leave a piece of media, I can reopen it to where exactly where I was and remember what I was doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like all the Mm -hmm. mechanics Uh, that, that is easy for me. The problem is that I just don't often get the the desire to, because it's like, oh, there's cool, new, interesting work in front of me that I can go check out. Uh, And so, like, I could either dip back in this game that I really found interesting, but did not feel like it was building to something that I was, like, really excited about. Then, like, eh, eh. That is, like, that is my, that is my personal, like, the cause of my bouncing around. Um, But, like, I I don't know. I, I also, like... I do like dipping into things to figure out what their core mechanics are, getting the vibe and then bouncing. Um, but there are a couple of games that like, no, I do put a ton of time into and then just never finish. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise. I still haven't beaten that expansion. I put 90 hours into that game. No, you haven't, haven't beaten the expansion yet. Um, and then I just get distracted and I move on and there's other interesting stuff uh, to play. And so I play the other interesting stuff that's there. Yet also there's that steady accretion of... I'll bet that game has a fun denouement. I should find out at some point. Uh, I, I too, had a Mass Effect 3 save. Uh, like, the only reason that wasn't on my list is because I lost it when I did a PC rebuild. Uh, but, like... You, too? That was, that was on there for years, where I was, like, uh, like 2015. I'm, like, oof. This th- things are getting pretty, pretty intense here. I'm going to like put a pin in this and I'll deal with this uh, Reaper invasion later. And I never did. The other thing I should note, Patrick, I'll just Google the ending of something. I don't care. What, 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 what what's going to stop me from Googling an ending and just being like, what does this go narratively? Do I want to see that? Do I want to, is this, is this interesting enough to see through? Do I want to see like the, the plot beats that I'm lo- looking at here? Can't, no, I can't do yeah. it. Can't do it. Could not, could I not, could never, I could, could not never be different. <laughs> Because because because, because people describe things poorly too. No, but but no commentary. You can just see the ending. You can just like skip around and be like, "Yep, watching something is wildly different than actually doing it." Right? No, I know the context. I put like thirty hours into the video game. I got plenty of fucking context. (laughs) Couldn't be me. I frequently skim ahead in the book and be like, "Okay, seriously, where's this going?" No. What? No. How, how do you even how do you even choose what? what at least at least in the video game it's like okay roughly I can pick an hour before the end of this video playthrough. What are you just picking like page four fifty two? No, I'll just be like okay this plot like there's like three plots here one of them I care about two I'm kind of like lukewarm on where's where's the where's this one plot headed though skip skip <laughs> skip da, 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 da. oh but wow, how person. are you doing this how are you figuring out where to even look thumbing forward 
just kind of scanning. Just kind of. I'll check. I'll do a. <laughs> yeah, I'll do a vibe I check. Don't know I'll, what? Well, hold on. I'll, so I'll, I'll crack open a book and do a vibe check. Yeah, this even... is normal. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's not. Let's be Pat, how so, words work, Patrick. I will also say, like, I am very like. It's funny. Uh, I struggle to like necessarily always maintain focus on like uh, a given page I'm reading. But I'm very good at skimming and like pulling out like just like large like snippets that will basically allow me to trace what's happening in a book as mm-hmm. I page forward. The other weird thing is uh, the shape and layout of a page will imprint very strongly and I can find like pages in like specific pages in books years later because I remember what the page looked like and I will skim through the copy until I see that shape of like the text blocks and then I'll be like, yep, it was here. This Damn. is this is the Rob Zachney Renata Price Venn diagram. This is 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 what we're seeing here. Yeah. Uh, listen, I when I'm like really if when I want to read and I don't have like the the uh, it's not giving me enough dopamine. Sometimes I'll just skim a page and be like, okay, cool. I have the basic information. Let me go back and find the good words. Like that's the, that's the problem is that like if a book is not really beautifully written, it is really hard for it to keep my attention, even if it's good. Like plenty of good books really struggle to keep my attention, and so sometimes I'll just go like, eh. "We are cursed with shitty gifts." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know what's not a shitty gift? Waypoint Plus. Oh wow! It enables all the fun streams uh, we've been doing lately. Uh, check it out at waypointplus.com. It enables Daddy's Day Off. I should clarify because enough people enough people asked. Like, why are you doing this on the Waypoint account when you're taking a day off? I was like, no, that's just the shitty name, the shitty fun name I came up for. It. I am being paid. Well, you're being ta- you're taking a day off from being a dad. That's the day uh, off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One, yes, that is the day off. It is not me taking a vacation day and then choosing. T- Look, if I was going to do that, I'd be on my own personal str- like Twitch channel and I'd be monetizing that myself. No, that is just the just the name. <laughs> And obviously, uh, you know, we've we've got a new episode of My Turn uh, that just went up on the premium feed. Uh, we we did White House down. And I think you'll be surprised at the reactions we we, we had to it. Uh, it. You know, I'm not I'm not saying we sort of rediscovered a, a lost modern masterpiece. I'm not sure I'd go that far, but you'll have to listen to the episode and, and decide for yourself. Maybe check out the movie and see whether you agree with our takes. Uh, that sounds good. You just want more Waypoint. You can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. That gives you access to our premium feed. And of course, you are helping support Waypoint and everything else we do here. And if you want to take that extra step, you can go to waypointgeneralstore.com and buy some of our fine Waypoint merch, including uh, a new poster and T-shirt design uh, that we just had go up for the sixth anniversary of Waypoint. That is very, very cool. And... Uh, Kato, can you can you describe it uh, a little bit? Like the, I forget the artist's name is yeah. is the main thing here, but it's very yes. cool art. Uh, Jimmy Geigrich has made a a metal uh, t shirt poster style illustration of four ghoulies, four four monsters on a monster couch playing video D- games. Ghoulies is a specific thing. Kato sorry. is a series of films. Ghoulies okay, go to college. Sorry, I yeah, believe is the third one. Um, you know what I mean. <laughs> four little <laughs> monsters. Four little. <laughs> Uh, and it's a uh, uh, a great T-shirt, a great illustration. You can go to jgillustration.com to see more of Jimmy Geigerich's work. He did the illustration for us, and you can also check out his other T-shirts, those other metal style T-shirts at pizzapartyprinting.com. 
Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. Uh, if you kinda want thought to... I was kind of thought I was lying. Kind of thought no, I was lying. No, no, no Ghoulies 3. Ghoulies go to college you. out of the bowl and totally out of control. <laughs> Amazing. Sure there is, I thought the ghoulies might have been a different group of people that called into Stern really. And it's like, well, <laughs> we don't want to talk too much about the ghoulies, though, because uh, of, you know, things that came out later. Uh, the you know, standards changed. Um, Did the ghoulies you know, you come want- from the toilet? What? Um, All right, that's it. We're calling time on this week. We'll everyone. talk to you again next Bye. week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Jesus. So you'll see it here on the cover of Ghoulies 2. Uh, they'll get you in the end again. I do, I do believe Ghoulies preys upon the, the fear oh, of sitting down in the toilet and the thing oh, grabbing. I, 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 I don't want to look at these little guys. Number one, yeah. Kata, you can, Kata, you can just let us know when that folder's up. I'm leaving. <laughs> Bye. I'm hitting exit on my recording. I'm hitting stop. Wow, Patrick, my Patrick, turn. Ghoulies. Take, take, no. take your turn. You've got to take your turn into the Ghoulies. <laughs> God damn it. Welcome to the ghoul zone. Jesus Christ.